from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello to you. You have joined the Badass Counseling Show and a lightning round at that, which means I'm getting rapid fire questions from our listeners around the world. We've got people checking in from as far away as Malta and Australia and the Philippines, Killeen, Texas. We've got Lake Park, Minnesota. We've got Lubbock, Charleston, South Carolina. We've got folks from all over. From Sault Ste. Marie on Lake Superior or the Suez Canal, welcome to the show. I'm joined in studio by Casey in the booth and Rob the Rocket next to me. Rob, how are you today? I'm doing well. Ready, steady, go, my friend. Ready, People st- must know we're, we're yeah, that, you, go. Know, you know the reference, right? Ready, steady, go? It's no. A, it's a British um, uh, pop TV show. 60s, I think. Wow. But anyway, regardless, people have to know the podcast we're doing now is being recorded. But at the moment we're recording this, you are live and you don't know what the questions will be. Correct. And it's all unrehearsed. And so take it away. All right. I shall take it away. We've got one coming in uh, by direct message. Rob just handed his phone to me of a direct message we got. And uh, just so you're aware, I am live on Facebook. I am live on TikTok and on Instagram. Here's one that we got. Um, and the question is this, what was the moment and who did you share it with when the fog of mind cleared and your clarity poured in? Um, for me personally, it was uh, a girl by the name of Nikki Bell when I was 19 and in college and she handed me a book and I read the book and it changed everything. It just opened everything up for me and to my 19 year old mind. And the book was Illusions, The Adventures of a Reluctant Messiah by Richard Bach. And everything cracked open. And that's when I began to actually go into the fog. When I came out of the fog, gosh, um, and began to have clarity. I think it was really uh, on the day that I committed suicide. And it was in that event, after bleeding for an hour, where I realized I need to start making different decisions. And it was from there. And then it was just a few more years. And before you knew it, everything had changed. And uh, so that was my moment. But that really is the question. I love this question because talking about this notion of the fog of mind clearing and the clarity pouring in, and that's sort of what we're all hoping for. All of us who are struggling, all of us who have gone through hard times and wanting a new clearer path and new vision for life, that's what we're hoping for. But it requires having the courage to go into the fog and look at where these problems are coming from and really get down to the nub of their origins. Next question. All right. Uh, There's another one here. Um, Question, what is the dynamic between narcissistic father and the son golden child? And the son golden child is now 38 years old and still does everything for his dad. Um, The son is a narcissist too, but how does he see his dad? Can he wake up one day? You have to understand, I write about this in my book. There's a hole in my love cup. I actually spend an entire chapter on the golden child and the sibling of the golden child. And the interesting thing is the sibling of the golden child um, basically experiences all of the oxygen being sucked out of the room when the golden child is in the room. The sibling of the golden child always feels like they're suffering, always feels like they're never getting enough love, and they grow to resent the golden child, right? But they're both suffering from the same problem, and the same problem is, is they're not getting their love cup filled. 
which if you're the, the sibling of a golden child, you're thinking that makes no fucking sense whatsoever. The golden child is constantly getting attention. Yes, but they're not getting attention for being their authentic self. They're getting attention for hitting their numbers, for hitting their quotas. They're getting attention for doing what is expected of them, the expectations of succeeding. And they only get that when they are succeeding. They don't get it for being authentic. So the golden child is living an inauthentic experience because like the sibling, they're just trying to get their love cup filled. And they figured out at a very young age what they had to do to get their love cup filled. Or they were just picked. And it was said, You just perform. You just be my performing monkey and I will give you praise. And when you're not hitting your numbers, when you're not succeeding, I'm going to take that praise away. So that 38-year-old that you're referring to in this question is still trying to get the praise and the approval of the old man, right? And on one hand, it's a sweet spot to be in because all you got to do is keep performing. But deep down inside of that golden child is sadness, is sorrow, is an emptiness, because dad doesn't see me for who I really am. I'm getting love from dad, but I always have to be hitting my numbers. And that'll come crashing to a halt at some point. That will implode. Because eventually you realize that you're not being loved for who you authentically are. And golden children live a curse, as do the siblings of the golden children, living in the shadow of that golden child and feeling always neglected and like you don't matter. But they're both suffering from the same thing. All right, next question. If my adult children don't answer my calls or texts, what should I do? You should do a number of things. One, you need to do a deep soul search on why the hell they might likely not be answering your texts and calls. I'm willing to bet that they are resentful and bitter about something. And the mere fact that you say it's more than one says that there's probably an argument to be made for at some point you probably hurt their feelings. And I know this isn't what you want to hear, but that more than one are doing it, unless they're just absolutely cruel people. But then you got to ask yourself, well, where the hell did that come from? Um, They're probably angry or bitter or hurt about something. And so what you need to do in your own personal journaling is you need to go inside yourself and you need to begin to ask yourself, how have I hurt my children? And I would recommend putting pen to paper and making a long list of all the ways that you think you have hurt your children. And then ask yourself the question of, okay, what am I missing? And then make another list of all the ways that you might have hurt your children. And then further journal about what they have said that you have done to them. Literally write on paper. What have they said? Because I'm sure they complained at some point. I'm sure that they told you you were this or that, or you you didn't do this, or you did do that. Write that down and start to own that. Start to sit with that. Start to feel that. And then ask yourself the question, well, if what they are saying is true, how might I have done that? What are, the, what are the situations where I may have done that? In other words, what I want you to do is a deep dive on how your children might be right. Because it's so easy to do the opposite. It's so easy to do, well, I, I just want to repair the relationship. It doesn't matter. And that's sort of what I'm hearing in your, in your words. When you say, if my adult children don't answer my calls or texts, what should I do? What I hear you saying is, what should I do to repair the breach, to get them back, right? Now, I could be misreading it. It's not totally saying that, but it sort of seems to imply that. In other words, you're saying, I want them to answer my calls. I want them to take my texts. I want them to respond. I want us to be in communication. I want us to repair... This, this crevasse, this fissure in our relationship. You want the relationship back. But see, that's the problem. 
you want the relationship because you want something from them. You want their texts. You want their calls. You want their confirmation of your worth. You want their love. And you, I'm sure you want to give some too. But the bottom line is, in that scenario, there's something in it for you. And that's likely at, at or near the root of what caused this crevasse to begin with. See, the thing is, you go in with a good spirit and you go in with a clean spirit if you go in and you say, listen, even if we never repair this relationship, that's okay. I just want to own what I've done to hurt you. And so you make that whole list. And then you write a letter to your children. You say, I have hurt you for this, 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 and this. And I've got, you know, four pages here of all the things that I've done. Maybe you send it to them as a letter. And then you say, and if there are things that I've missed, I want to hear them. And I promise you, I will listen. And then you shut up and you listen. If they, they may be silent. They may not say anything because they may think you're full of shit because they may be 22 or 31 and they may think, oh, she hasn't really changed. How do I know if she's really changed? If she's really going to own it or if she's going to defend, deflect, deny, or dodge. So they're going to wait and see because if you're just trying to repair the relationship, then it's for you. It's about you and you getting your needs met. But if you're just saying, I just want to own whatever I've done to hurt you so that you can heal. And so I want to ask you this question. If you could have, if you had to choose between your children having a relationship with you and not being healed inside themselves or them not having a relationship, you not getting a relationship with them, but they are healed in themselves, which would you choose? To have your children healed, but you don't get a relationship or you do get the relationship, but they're not healed. And there's only one right answer to that question. And that is that if I, if those were my two choices, I would want my children to be healed even if it meant I don't get a relationship. And so what you do is you send that list to them and you tell them all the ways that you're sorry for and you invite them to tell you the things that you haven't seen and tell them that you're going to acknowledge them and then you acknowledge them and you own them and you don't just race to I'm sorry and gee, forgive me. You do say, yes, I'm sorry, but I need to sit with these more and really feel them. And then maybe in a month or six months or however long, then you go back and you say, I've thought about it. And you know what, you're right. And I can see how this hurt and I can see how this hurt and this and this and this hurt. And you don't ever have to forgive me, but I want you to know that I am truly sorry. And then you let go of the relationship. That's what you do. Do you want to know why? Because all of that shows integrity. All of that shows you're not doing it for you, that you don't get anything out of this. Because if they are holding this much of a grudge that they don't take your texts or your calls, you've, you or whoever raised them, likely very, very much hurt them and they're taking it out in you. I'm willing to bet that if they're adults, they see you as part of the problem. And it's a hard pill to swallow and it is one I have had to swallow myself. So I'm not just talking out my ass. I'm not just whistling Dixie. This is fact and it's hard to do, but you have no hope of repairing that relationship ever unless you own your shit and you still may not get the relationship, but it's the right thing to do because I have so many clients, I have so many people on this show, I have so many friends, I have so many acquaintances, I have so many people that I've counseled over the years whose parents won't own their shit. Own your shit. That's the best shot you have. And even that's not guaranteed. All right, next question. I can't get my parents to hear how I felt when I was growing up. Should I cut them out? Casey, yeah, of course you can't get them to hear how you feel. So many parents don't want to hear how you feel. So many parents don't want to look at how they harm their child. I just did a post on this uh, this last week on this notion of, um, you know, blaming parents and how so many people say nowadays, oh, blaming your parents is a cop-out. 
Well, that phrase in itself is a cop-out. Why? Because somebody saying, oh, blaming your parents is a cop-out is someone who doesn't want to own their shit. They don't want to own what they did to their own kids. Or they had parents that fucked them up that they don't want to, in fact, assign origins to what their parents did. I don't care if you blame your parents or not. That's up to you. But at least have the courage to note the origins of what you were taught about yourself. We're assessing origins. We're assigning origins. Where was I taught to hate myself? Where was I taught that I don't matter? And if you track it back, those origins, it wasn't your first marriage, really. You think that's where it all fucking started? No. Take it back, take it back, take it back. We're just finding origins. So when you ask the question, Casey, I can't get my parents to hear how I felt when I was growing up. Should I cut them out? They're not gonna. Most parents, many parents don't want to hear how their children felt, how they screwed up in parenting. And why? Because that means admitting I screwed up in parenting. It means admitting fault. And it's just so much easier to say you're, be, you're being a little shit or you were the problem or quit blaming your parents. It's so much easier to put the fault onto you. And the kid, when they're young, especially, is happy to own that. I must be at fault. I mean, they're not happy, but that's what a child's mind does, right? But here's the interesting thing, Casey. You have all the power. Now, I know you may hear that and think like, what the fuck is he talking? You have all the power. They're terrified of the secrets you have. They're terrified of the truth you bear. That's why they have to maintain this power imbalance. That's why they have to keep you subject to them. They have to keep you silent. Because if they don't, you'll make them feel bad with the truths that you have. So they have to call you a liar. They have to call you a child or an imbecile or whatever. And so then you ask the question, well, if they're not going to acknowledge how I felt when I was growing up, should I cut them out? Um, that's up to you, but in all honesty, what is served by keeping them in your life if, they, if you don't even matter enough to them for them to own how they've hurt you? I don't get into relationships personally with people who don't acknowledge when they inflict pain. I have inflicted pain, and sometimes it's been very difficult, and I have had to own that. And it's just called trying to be a fucking decent person in the world, trying. And I've failed a million times in my life, but fucking hell. I don't let people in my life who don't own their shit or apologize when they've hurt me or hurt someone else. So if you want to keep them in your life, go for it. But I don't know what your possible justification is for because you're basically exonerating them without them ever owning their shit. Next question. Daughter is 22, no desire to work, drive, or ever move. How do I handle this without hurting her? Um, I would want to ask you a bunch of questions. I would want to ask you the question, not that you ever have to say it to her, but what do you most want to say to your daughter? Or what do you most want to ask your daughter? That'd be the first one. But then I'd ask you, why do you think it is that your daughter has no desire to work, drive, or ever move? Now, I'm just going to tell you the pattern that I've seen. One of the patterns that I've seen with kids in similar situation. And this isn't new. This isn't, oh, this generation. This has been going back long fucking time. Long before this generation. Because oftentimes when people won't hear what you want or won't hear what you'll do, the one power that you have is the power to say no. The power to stop. If somebody wants you to do something, you should do this, you should do that. Why aren't you doing this? And you're mad at them or you're resentful, you're bitter, or you're just hurt by them. The one thing you have the power to do is to not do it. We had a guest on the show that we just finished taping earlier this evening and an adult woman, a 50-year-old woman, and she said that, you know, my mother at the end of every conversation says, I love you. 
And she doesn't say it back. She says, I can't say I love you to my mom. I love my mom, you know, and she's the only person in my life that's nice to me, but I, I did, wait, did she say she loves her mom, Rob? Uh, kind of. Kind she was of. non-committal. Non-committal, but she can't say it. And she doesn't like being near, she spends time with her mom, talks to her mom every day, but she doesn't like it when her mom gets too physically close or when her mom touches her hair, right? This is someone who is saying no. The only thing, way she has of saying to her mother, and her mother didn't protect her when her, she was a child, and uh, the stepfather was abusive, and the daughter felt the need to protect the mom as a eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old, okay? Fucked up shit, right? And so all she has the ability to do, I helped her to see, is to not give mom the one thing she wants, that she's so bitter that she won't give mom the one thing she wants, and that is closeness. And the words, I love you, mom, and basically a letting a mom off the hook. I'm willing to bet that there's something very similar going on here. The daughter in some way has felt like her voice has been squelched and she's shut down. See, the desire to pursue that which I wanna pursue is a natural instinct. It's a natural impulse. So if someone is not pursuing anything or claims to have no drives and no desires, it's because there's so much crud on top of it. I guarantee in that child's life, whether it's you or the father or some other person who raised this child has set up massive expectations or is has caused this child to feel that they're not this 22 year old to feel like they are not heard and that their voice doesn't matter do you, do you realize people that when you use the phrase you should do you, have you ever used that phrase you know uh, you should do this man or have you thought about doing that you know this other thing said you should really you should really if i'm saying you should to someone then what i'm saying is you know you should change or you should go try these jobs you should i'm saying i don't like who you are i don't like who you are right now you should do this then i'll like you more then i'll approve of you more then i'll accept you more that's what's implicit and you should so if someone is shutting down and not wanting to work or drive or move at all it's likely because they're saying, no, this is their big fuck you. Fuck you. Quit telling me what I should do. Quit telling me what the expectations are. Quit telling me everything that's wrong with me. This is the giant fuck you. And so how do you handle it? You go to her. You don't want to hurt her. So you go to her and you ask her for her truth and you listen. And you do not, do not, do not try to fix her. My mother died at 93. She did this work, soul counseling for decades and decades and decades, double the number of years that I've done it. And I've been doing it for 30 years. And she used to say, children want to be heard, not fixed. I believe it's true of adults too. Very rarely do we want to be fixed. What we very often want is to feel heard. Rob told me a little tip once that he used with uh, his kids and, and so forth. And, uh, I've started using it in my relationship. And it's simply, do you want to be heard, helped, or hugged? And my mom would say that 90% of the time with kids, they want to be heard. I would go in with your daughter and I would ask you, what have I done to hurt you? What, or even, and not then turn it around and say, oh, I feel so bad. I've done that. Oh, you're right. I'm such a bad mom. Oh, don't make it about you. Okay. Or go into that child and say, how are you feeling? And let them talk. And don't say a word or just say, I'm sorry, you're, you're hurting or say, that's really hard. I can see why that feels bad and acknowledge their feelings, acknowledge what they've just said. Don't try to fix them. You've got to create a culture of safety with your daughter. 
Now, it could be that she feels totally safe with you and you're not the problem at all. Could be it's someone else, but she's feeling immense pressure to do, to change, to fix, to should. And the way you handle this is by simply allowing her to be this right now and encouraging her to continue to get out the pain. And if she's not seeing a therapist, she probably should. All right, next question. Sidebar, Sven. Please. Do you think the phrase, don't you think, is as bad as you should? Yeah, right. Because implicit is you're not thinking. And implicit is basically you should do this instead. Yeah, that's a great point, Rob. Yeah, it depends how you say it. Like, don't you think? That's that's one thing. Right. Don't you think? It's just as bad, right? Yeah, I think it is. That's really a great point. You know, and someone over here on, Ellie over here on Facebook says, well, I wonder if she, if your daughter won't move because you're doing everything for her. So why would she, if, why would she, if you do everything? And Ellie says, just a theory. Now that's not a bad one either. Do you do everything for her? Do you do everything? You, you say you don't want to be the parent that causes harm. You just typed in now. Yeah. But uh, allowing the child to get their pain out, but then also perhaps at some point, it's necessary to say, you know, you you are playing on a team here and you're going to, I need you to start whatever it is, bit by bit, helping to build her up. But it's maintaining that trust and helping her to know that she's safe with you, but it's also owning your shit. But yeah, she needs to be in talking with someone. All right, next question. My daughter asked for private, for therapist via the health plan. I want to suggest your TikToks, but I don't want to push. You can suggest it and then let it go, you know, suggest it. Um, at the very least, it will get her thinking in the direction of healing, you know, herself and and things that she can be doing. I'm constantly saying there are lots of great therapists out there and lots of great resources. Um, and just getting your daughter thinking in that direction could be very helpful for her. All right, more to come. But right now, let's take a quick break. I'll be right back. So I was telling a buddy of mine how he seems happier. He told me about the book that changed his life. So I bit. I went to the Badass Counseling website and downloaded There's a Hole in My Love Cup audiobook. I started listening to it on my commute home from work, and holy cow, it was a Louisville slugger to the face. I literally sat in my car in the driveway night after night, listening through to the end of a chapter or doing the journaling exercises. My wife started to see changes. I started to change a lot. My default response stopped always being anger. Now, I manage a team of salespeople, and I changed as a leader. I was listening more, not always just reacting. When their numbers started going up seemingly out of nowhere, I knew what the reason was. There's a hole in my love cup is now required listening for any person on my sales team or working for me, and I gladly buy it for them. You gotta listen to this book. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with a lightning round of the Badass Counseling Show. All right, I've got a question here from Victoria. She asks, and it's rather long, so I'm going to sort of skim it. Hello, Sven. And this sort of dovetails into the question we just had. We seem to be on parents and kids tonight. Victoria says, hello, Sven. Please help me with my 23-year-old daughter who moved to Montana with a guy she met on Tinder after only knowing him for five weeks. He immediately isolated her, turned her against her only few friends and us, her parents. He cheated on her more times than I can count. 
and he completely bankrupted her within two years because he refused to get a job over six months, made her pay all of his bills and car payments. I'm trying to go quickly because this is so fucking long. All the while cheating on her as he finally started bartending and wouldn't come home. I've tried everything to make her wake up to his narcissism, but she just completely shut me out and hasn't spoken to me for over a year. He quit over 10 jobs in the past two years. He borrowed money from his boss to pay his taxes because my daughter had nothing left. He cheated on her again, and she found out on Christmas Day. Then her dad had a heart attack on Christmas Day after stressing out and worrying about her. She came home, but by the time she got here, she had already made up her mind. She was going back to him because she had multiple panic attacks on her way home, and he hoovered her and love-bombed her, and uh, how do I make her wake up? Uh, Ma, listen, Victoria, who wrote that in, Mom? I'm so sorry that you are going through that pain, the pain of watching your own child suffer, the pain of watching your own child make really what seem to be awful decisions. My parents lived that shit through six kids, some of us more than others. The, you know, my girlfriend regularly says, it's like, how did your mother and father sleep at night with you as their kid, let alone one or two of your siblings? And the bottom line is this, you can't make her wake up. If a bankruptcy and being cheated on and all this doesn't make her wake up, do you really think there's anything you can say to make her wake up? No. Furthermore, she doesn't want to hear it. She's so in love. She's so in whatever she's in. Her feelings are so powerful inside of her that they are overriding her rationality or just her good decision-making and what even feels good to her. I have to believe that it doesn't feel good to her. But she so needs love, which in itself is a problem. See, the problem is, is that her love cup was so empty and she thinks so little of herself that she's willing to allow herself to be treated this way. See, now we get into the problem of, well, where the hell did she get the message that that's all she's worth and that she uh, has to endure this? See, now we got a fucking problem because now we're getting again into origins. It's not about blame. It's about origins. Where did your daughter get the belief system that she actually is all, this is all the better she can do and that she has to eat it and that she has to do everything to make the other person happy and endure all their shit if she hopes to get just a little bit of love. If I've seen this once, I've seen this 200 billion, 1,672 million thousand hundred times. Yes, that many times. It's the same shit every time. It's they were conditioned, a person was conditioned to believe that they have to endure everything because they can't bear not just being alone, but that they, they can't bear not getting an ounce of love. And so what you need to do is keep loving your daughter because what you're fundamentally doing is you're driving your daughter away from you. You're not engendering trust in her. She distrusts you because you're saying the very thing she wants the most and loves the most is bad. And that, that's obviously not working, is it? you telling her that. So she doesn't want to listen to you. And guess what it's doing? It's making her entrenched, right? She's resisting you. Do you know how susceptible I was to that when I was young? Somebody telling me I shouldn't do something. It's like, oh, fuck you. Then I'm going to do it. Ah, you don't know anything. I mean, seriously, seriously. I got engaged when I was 22 to a woman. And everybody's like, oh, you shouldn't do it. You're too young and so on and so forth. Of course, they were right. But I was 22 and I was madly in love, madly in love. And the more people said it, the more I'm like, fuck you, I'll show you, right? When I was 17, 19, 21, I'm like, I just wanted the biggest challenge. I had wanted to prove myself. So if anybody told me 
I couldn't do something, it's like, fuck you, I'll prove it to you. My high school physics teacher said, Sven, you'll never get into any of the academies. I said, fuck you, I'll prove you. I got into West Point and I got into the Air Force Academy. Picked West Point up until the last day before he had to decide. I think it was April 1st back then. The very last minute I picked Air Force Academy because he got to fly jets, right? Um, anyway, and when I left the Air Force Academy, I had some guy say, I don't know, it somehow came up, Ivy League schools. Oh, you could never get in there, Sven. Fuck them. I fucking got in. I got into Cornell. I didn't go, you know, because I wanted to, I don't know, I just felt called to go back home, but I got into Cornell. So when I was that age, you tell me to do something, I became entrenched. I was going to prove you wrong, me against the world, right? Spite is a powerful motivator. I literally used to say those words when I was that age. Spite is a powerful motivator. And I think you are entrenching your daughter against you, even though what you are saying is spot on. So what you do is you try a different tack. You tell your daughter you love her and you support her. You tell her, you know what, sweetheart, we've been hard on you, but you know what? You make good decisions. And I know that seems asinine, but you ever want to start giving your kid a good message? Apart from I love you, you're wonderful, you're amazing. Give them, start telling them, even when they screw up, tell them, you know what, you make good decisions. Trust, because you're teaching them to trust their own decision-making. You don't want a child who comes into adulthood distrusting their own voice, forever dependent upon your voice. You want a child who believes in their own voice, even when they're making mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. We're all making mistakes. But you still gotta trust your own voice, otherwise you're forever dependent upon an external power source. So encourage her, be loving towards her, let her come to the realization on her own. Her own, And the less you push her away from him, the more you're pushing her towards him. All right, next question, fine humans. Dumbfounded by a teen that incessantly lies about obviously untrue things, constantly. Do you have any thoughts, Sven? Yeah. Um, someone's trying to get attention, trying, someone's trying to get their needs met, and someone is trying to manipulate situations to get love or to get more for themselves. That's what lying is. It may be wanting more attention. It may be wanting the upper hand. It may be wanting more stuff. It may be wanting... Uh, someone to stop hurting them. But we had, a, we had a guest on the show. It was on March 23rd. I think it was that episode. One of our top episodes, if not the top episode we've ever done. We had a self-admitted narcissist and we had a victim of a narcissist. And the self-admitted narcissist says, said, Sven, I've been doing this since I was eight years old. I've been using people. I've been lying since I was eight years old. I've been taking advantage of situations since I was eight years old. Um, and so forth. And they know he knew he was doing it, right? And the lying and the making shit up. Why? They're trying to manipulate situation to get what they want. Why? Because prior to that, they, he wasn't getting what he wanted. People start lying. People start trying to get attention or manipulate situations because their own needs aren't being met. I was the class bully up until, I don't know, seventh or eighth grade, till the kid, the bullies in the older grades started to let me have it. Then you stop being a bully. There's always somebody stronger, faster, smarter, right? Always, always. And uh, But I was a class bully. And you know what I learned about class bullies as I look back on being the class bully? And not only was I the class bully, I was constantly bragging, making shit up. Oh, yeah, I know how to ski. I didn't know how to fucking ski. I remember telling that to, uh, what was his name, Kurt Isaacson? Anyway, um, not Kurt. Uh, just bragging. Why? I wanted attention. I grew up in a home where I was the youngest of six kids, two parents. Everybody's, you're just clamoring for attention and it's never enough. And so I would make shit up. And you know who needs the most attention? The one you want to give it to the least. The bully, the kid who's bragging, 
that's the one who needs it the most. Their cup's fucking empty, right? So you've got a teen that incessantly lies about obviously untrue things constantly. You've got somebody wanting attention. You've got somebody trying to manipulate a situation because their needs aren't being met. And you need to go in and find out what it is and start having real conversations. And that's not just calling them out, calling them out, calling them out. It's about asking the question, what could I be doing better? What needs of yours are going unmet? You spending more time with them, being affirming, being loving, even when they're lying, giving them the attention you really don't fucking feel like giving them because they need it. Children need their love, love cups filled. And I'm willing to bet, I bet my left testicle that that child's love cup is not full or even half full, that some grand need is going unmet. And it's your job as the parent or uh, bring in a therapist or yourself or some adult that they trust to begin to discern what needs are going unmet by that child. All right, next question. How do I stop pleasing everyone but me? You go inside and you find out where the voice, where the message came from that said that your voice doesn't matter, that you don't matter, that you're not good enough. Because you're pleasing everyone, you're trying to get love. As I talk about in my book, there's a hole in my love cup, all right? I've written, what, nine books? Seven of them have been published, whatever it is. Got another one coming out soon, by the way. Um, but uh, as I write in here, that I talk about a relationship camel. And you guys have heard me say it before, for those of you that are regulars on the show, uh, to the show, a uh, camel can go long distance on a little bit of water or fat in their hump, right? Long distance through the fucking Sahara Desert, you know, whatever. And uh, a relationship camel is someone who can go a long distance on a little bit of love. So they'll give and give and give and give. And give. I'll give you everything. Oh, let me get that for you. Oh, I'll make that. Oh, it's okay. You can treat me poorly. I'll do anything for you. Just give me a little bit of love. Just give me a little bit of love. And so you keep pleasing that person because you think that you have to just get a little bit of love in return. Furthermore, you're terrified of standing up for your needs because if I stand up for my needs, what if they don't want me? What if they walk away? Then it's confirmation, isn't it, that I don't matter. You're terrified to stand up for yourself. But here's the problem. If we consider this notion of origins, you have to go back to the origins of your life to determine where you were taught that you don't matter, where you were taught that you have to give far more than you're gonna get in return. Now, I have a lot of clients. My office has been in Manhattan for most of the last 10 years. It's not anymore because I moved it out for COVID. But I had a lot of people in finance and um, hedge funds and private equity and that sort of shit and brokerages. And <laughs> if you're investing this much and getting this much out of it, we call that a bad investment, abort. Um and so you're pleasing everyone but yourself because you're terrified to please yourself. You're terrified to stand up for yourself because you've been conditioned to believe you don't matter. And if you were to begin to stand up for yourself and people walked away, you would be alone. And then you'd be left with all those beliefs that you were taught about yourself. And they'd be rushing through your head, pounding, pounding, pounding. And the only way to heal from that is to go back into it and begin, begin to look at and feel and allow all those feelings and to find the origins and where you were taught that and who taught you that and the implications. Do you realize that if somebody taught you usually a parent, that you don't matter, that you're not significant, that you're not important, then the realization isn't just the pain and feeling all the pain from that. Let's say mom taught me I didn't matter. Let's say she put me in front of uh, you know my stepfather and let him abuse me so that she wouldn't have to. Well, you want a clear message that you don't matter? That's it, okay? And let's say mom did that, but I've not wanted to look at that. I've not really ever thought about it. Well, no shit, why? Because the implications of that are that I really didn't have a mother. She used me to take care of her. I've written articles. There's one on my website on emotional incest. Parent who uses the child and dumps all their problems onto the child, uses the child 
as their psychologist, as their mini me, as my best friend. No, it's not your best friend. Your child's not your friend. Do you know what I do with my friends? I go boozing with my friends. You know what I do with my friends? I tell my problems to my friends. You shouldn't be telling your fucking problems to your kid. All right, so you're conveying the message to the child, your feelings don't matter, mine matter. Even if, even if you listen to the child's occasional message you know, or occasional problem, the bottom line is the most problem that a six-year-old or a four-year-old, and yes, I have parents who, who have shared it, clients whose parents have shared it, all their adult problems about mortgages and men or women and, and life and uh, hardship and oh, how hard I had it with my parents and with a child as young as two, four, six, 12, you know what a, a six-year-old, you know what the biggest problem a six-year-old can handle? Six-year-old can handle, my pencil is broke, I need a new pencil. That's about the level of stress a six-year-old can handle. And you're dumping adult problems on them because it's your mini-me, right? No, you're conveying to the child. So then the child, there's no room for their feelings. And plus now they've got the burden of all your feelings. You're teaching the child they don't fucking matter. You're teaching them and the child just wants you to be happy. So they're going to do everything they can to try to please you, to try and make mommy happy or daddy happy. Why? They can't bear to see you in pain. So then they are now conditioned to worry about everyone else and not themselves. That's how you started pleasing everyone but yourself. And how do you stop? Go back into the origins, allow up those feelings, begin to look at not just where it came from, but the implications. And the implications, which you're terrified of, is that your mother fucked you over or your father fucked you over. And they weren't parents in highly critical ways. And that you've perhaps been alone the whole time. And that the people who claim to love you most did the most damage by teaching you you didn't matter. All right, next question. Uh, hello, Sven. I'm very grateful for your videos. A question I have is this. Could you please give some good examples of stepping up when people disrespect your boundaries? I only seem to use distancing, no contact, or playing their manipulations back to them. These don't feel dignified and only worsen the relationships and my self-esteem. Oh, that's interesting what you said at the end there. They only worsen the relationships and my self-esteem. Um, if you think that you can protect your boundaries and that somehow it's going to at least initially make your uh, relationship better, you know, that they're going to be all fucking kumbaya, namaste, you know, om about you holding up your boundaries, you're lying to yourself. No, you're changing. See, you're saying, you're basically saying, I haven't really had boundaries in the past. Now I want to have boundaries. And you're asking me, can you give me some examples of how to step up when people disrespect me? So in other words, you have patterns in place of people disrespecting you. And now you're going to change. You want them to stop disrespecting you. So you're basically telling them through your actions, through your words, you, you are disrespecting me and you don't get to do that anymore. You don't think they're going to resist that shit? They're going to be like, well, fuck you. I don't want to fucking be with you anymore. Some of them are going to be that way. But you're wanting a path to having people respect your boundaries where it doesn't worsen the relationship at all. Well, it's going to worsen it because they're going to be pissed and they're going to fight back because you're telling them you don't like how they treat you, which is an implication of them is how they'll receive it. Wait, you don't, you, then you're saying you don't like me. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't like how you treat me. And if that is who you are, then you're right. I don't like you. Then you say it worsens your self-esteem. Of course it worsens your self-esteem when you stand up for your boundaries and they push back. Why? Because by them pushing back and not honoring your boundaries, they're saying you don't matter. They are confirming you're not worth it for me to change. Fuck you is what they're saying. Of course it worsens your self-esteem. But guess what? You got to do it anyway. You got to believe that you fucking matter enough. And why the hell would I ever want to be around people who don't want to honor my boundaries? 
Why would I ever want to be around people who attempt to worsen my self-esteem or make the relationship about them being able to disrespect me? Why would I ever want to be around someone who disrespect me? Why, why, why? No, you've got to matter so much to you that you are willing to lose people. Oh, by the way, and if you're not willing to lose people, if you're terrified of losing people, you'll never stand up for yourself. You gotta be more terrified of losing yourself because that's what you're doing every time you let them cross your boundaries. So a good example is saying to someone, please don't do that. Or I can't let you talk to me that way anymore. Or um, can you please state that in a positive way? Or um, please don't put me down. Or I need you to apologize for what you did and put it out there and just put your truth out there. Then watch how they respond. They're gonna respond in one of two ways, a derivative of one of two ways. They're either going to respond with, oh, bullshit. You know, I didn't, or no, first of all, okay, well, fine, we'll go with that one. They're either going to respond with some derivative of bullshit. I didn't do that, or no, I'm not going to do that. They're going to deflect, defend, dodge, deny. And you know what? When you put your truth out there and someone does that, you know what your response is? You don't have to say it out loud, but my response is, thank you. You've just shown me who you are. Or they're going to say, fuck, you're right. And you matter to me, and I don't want to treat you that way. Thank you, you've just shown me who you are. In either way, you win because they're showing you who they really are. And then you've got to ask yourself, why the fuck would I want to be with someone who doesn't give a shit about me and who doesn't own their shit? And see, that's the problem. You can't be afraid to lose people anymore. And so you have to go into your fear and your fear is them walking away from you, them you being alone, et cetera, et cetera. All right, next one. How do you protect yourself when someone you love is in a heightened state and it's affecting you? Uh, get away from them, get away from them. If they're in a heightened state, um, one of the things that we know, <laughs> we've all experienced it, we, know it, we all know it from experience, is that um, if I'm in a heightened state emotionally, if I'm emotionally charged, my decision-making is affected, which is why I'm constantly telling you fuckers to keep working on getting all your fucking feelings out of you, right? Flushing, 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 journaling the shit out of it, writing letters you don't send, flushing all the feelings, finding the origins of your belief system, the bullshit you were taught about yourself, flushing all that because that's what's charging you emotionally and impacting your decision-making. When you're getting triggered, it's not the, the, the thing that this person is doing to trigger you, it's what's inside of you that's being triggered. You get all that shit out and all of a sudden you're cool as a cucumber. You begin to calm the fuck down, right? We make bad decisions when we're in emotionally charged states. So you ask the question, you know, how do I protect myself when someone I love is basically in an emotionally charged state and it's affecting you? You get out and when they come back down, you tell them, listen, you can't be that way around me. This goes right back to the question that was asked by the last person. You have to protect your boundaries. You have to protect your boundaries. You can't just assume that if you want someone to protect your boundaries, that they now should do it. And uh, gosh, it disappoints me that they're not. You have to protect your boundaries until you retrain them. And if they refuse to be retrained, then you got to get the fuck out of it. Then it's not love. They can claim they have feelings of love for you, but that, you know, they're not showing it in their actions. And in the end, who gives a shit what's coming out of their pie hole if their actions towards you are not loving and kind and so forth? But no, if somebody's highly charged, you protect yourself, get out, get out. I uh, was in a couple of long-term relationships with a couple of women in my younger years, uh, one of my 20s, one of my 30s, and um, uh, verbally abusive and physically abusive towards me. And uh, I had a very long fuse and I realized I could eat it and eat it and eat it. When I was younger, I always used to say, oh, I have a long fuse, but man, once it's once you push me past that threshold, and if you do it maliciously, then I'll unleash my tongue. 
and I have a venomous tongue, especially when I was younger, right? I don't want to engage that. I don't want to. And now when I'm older, shit, I abort the fucking conversation or abort the person long before that ever fucking happens, right? But back then, I was being verbally abused and physically abused at times. And as a big guy, you know, I'm 6'4", right now, 260, 265. You know, it's just like, fuck. If tempers are getting heightened, the last person I want to be in that room is me. Why? Because everybody's looking at the big guy. And they're assuming, ah, the big guy's at fault. And any big guys out there know what the fuck I'm talking about. You're always going to be the one blamed, especially if it's a rookie cop. They'll always blame the, the big guy. Or they'll always assume that a crying woman is innocent, right? More experienced cops know a little better that it's often more nuanced than that. And so what I would do anytime we're getting heightened emotions is I would just get the fuck out. But sometimes then they block the door. Well, then what do you do? So I would have to like squeeze out because I'm not going to pick her up and lift her and move her because now I'm laying on hands. But it's just like, no way, man, I would get out. But she didn't want me to leave. One of them didn't want me to leave because she was afraid I wouldn't come back. It's like, no, I just know as a guy, big guy, when you're getting up there, man, you just get out. You get out, you cool down, come back. We'll talk about it later. Nope. So I guess what I'm saying is protect yourself, get out. Next question. My husband discusses our problems with the kids and now the kids are disrespectful to me. What to do? Uh, first of all, you have to tell your uh, husband to stop. He has to stop. And you have to be adamant and not back down. You cannot back down. That has to stop. Furthermore, um, if he will not stop, what does that say? You know, he can't be discussing the problems. And obviously the way he's telling the problems, if the kids are turning on you, He's obviously slanting the problems that you're the culprit. You are the problem. First of all, children should not be bearing adult problems. That is the first problem. Second problem is what they are then doing to you. Do you understand how that is the priority? That children should not have to bear adult problems. They should not be let in on the parents' problems, okay? Their, their biggest problem is my pencil is broke, okay? Or, gee, does the girl like me? All right, so that's the bigger problem. Second is they're being disrespectful to you. You have every right to stand up for yourself and say that's not true. You have every right to do that, but your husband has to stop and you have to make it abundantly clear and do not back down. Children should not be bearing adult problems and he has no right to slant his uh, conversations against you either towards your own kids. I mean, that's a form of abuse. It's in a way, it's beyond being child abuse, it's spousal abuse. It's using children as levers. I mean, just... That's some hardcore fucked up shit. Rob, go ahead. Especially in divorce. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and, and unfortunately in divorce, there's only so much, you can't control what they do on the other parent's time. But you have to, you know, you, you've got two choices. I was told when I was going through a divorce, don't speak ill of the other parent, ever. And so to the best of my ability, I didn't, ever. But that only works if two parents are doing it. Because what if the other parent is disparaging you? Now, all of a sudden, the children at two or five or 15 have this whole myth system that's now been built up over years that no one, there's no counter message. I wasn't counter messaging it. And so what I tell parents uh, you know, who are divorcing or where the other spouse is saying bad things, I say, you have a choice. You can do what I did or you can stand up and at least provide a counter message and say, that's not true. Here's what the real truth is. That doesn't mean you have to disparage the other parent, which I'm not advocating, but you have every right to stand up for yourself, but it's your choice. But if you don't stand up for yourself, it could cost you many years with your children. 
The downside is, the other downside is, if you do stand up for yourself, it creates some sort of tension inside the child. But the child already has tension. The tension of standing up for myself is the tension between, well, who's right, mommy or daddy? Um, or mommy or mommy or daddy or daddy or they or they, okay, just trying to be fair. Uh, but they already have the tension of believing mommy is bad or believing daddy is bad, which is being placed in by the other parent. So I'm an advocate of standing up for yourself. I didn't. And um, yeah, live and learn, right? All right. How do you walk away from a mom? Uh, capital letters, how, capital letters, mom. How do you walk away from a mom? The way you walk away from a mom is first ask yourself the question, why the hell you want to walk away from your mom? You wouldn't even be considering it unless the pain was great, right? Have you actually gone fully into your past and assessed? I'm Obviously, you've assessed some of your past. Obviously, there's been enough pain and shit you've been told about yourself and ways you've been let down or hurt that are causing you to walk away. You're wanting to walk away but you're stuck. So obviously there's a lot, but there's gotta be, there's always more there. Every time I go into this with the client, I always find more shit than they even see or wanna see. But how do you walk away from a mom? See, the mere fact that you capitalized both how and mom implies that you're saying it this way. How do you walk away from a mom? As if the rules are different for a mom, the rules are different for a parent. And on one hand, sure, maybe they are, but on the other hand, they're not. Doesn't the parent have a responsibility to earn the right to be treated like a mom? When my parents were in their late 80s, one of my siblings moved across the country from Texas to Minnesota after living in Texas for 20-some years. I already had four, three siblings in Minnesota and their spouses taking good care of my parents. My parents were still in good health, but one of my siblings moved across the country to lend her hand in it, in helping out. So now I had four siblings, and some of them had spouses. And all of them were there doing, some excelled in the medical side. My sister-in-law has her doctorate in physical therapy. One of my brothers is in surgery every day, saving people's lives, and he's handling the medical. And then another brother, he got, he was in, you know, he got out of the Air Force as a chief master sergeant in finance. So he's working on all the money. I mean, they're just, everybody's just taking care of my parents. Do you think they did that out of fucking obligation? Like, these are your parents, you should do it. Fuck No. They were doing it because we have gotten so much love in our lifetime from our parents. My mom in our 20s, my dad in our 20s, my mom again in her 80s, and my mom in her final year of debt before her death. You've heard me say it before, some of you. She went to her kids. Dad did it as well in the 20s, in our 20s. Went to her kids and said, if I've caused you pain, I want it back. I want any rocks I've put in that burlap sack on your back, I want them back. I want you to tell me how I've hurt you. I want the opportunity to acknowledge it and own it and apologize for it and sit with it. Then she did it again in her 80s. She says, I'm coming to the end of my life. I don't want you to be stuck with any crap that I've left in your life when I die. And then in her final year of life, she did it again. Now that's a mom you don't want to walk away from. That's a dad you don't want to walk away from. Rob's an amazing father to his kids. That's a dad you don't want to walk away from but one who doesn't earn the right to be treated like a mom, earn the right to be treated like a dad, but just says, well, I'm the mom. Or somewhere innate in you, there's innate, quote unquote, there's this thing that says, well, she's my mom. Yeah, but she didn't act like it. Otherwise you wouldn't be considering and wanting to walk away. 
You give yourself permission to do what you know you need to do because at some point in your life, you have to matter because it sounds like up until now, she's mattered. You've been conditioned to believe that she matters more than you and that's not good parenting. Last question. All right. Oh, this is great. You know, and listen to this one, you guys. For everyone who has trauma or has had trauma, but who am I without the trauma, Sven? I almost feel afraid to let go. It's all I've ever known. Yeah, I did a post recently. When you, a 20-year-old kid said to me, Sven, when you've grown up in a war zone of a childhood, you just assume there are new bombs coming. When all you've ever known is trauma and the high stress, the fucking pain, living in the misery, the chaos, all of it, it's who am I without it? is the question you're asking. You, you are afraid to let it go because it's all you've ever known. And that's the disorienting part of healing, that healing can actually be very destabilizing because it's like, well, who the hell am I? And you just have to trust in the process. You have to trust that you're going to be a wonderful new version of yourself. You're going to begin to become your authentic self. Who are you without the trauma? As you pull more and more out of the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs where you're taught about yourself, the authentic you begins to bubble up from within. You won't see it all at once. You'll see bits and pieces. And we begin to know ourselves not just by what we say yes to, but by what we say no to. You've heard me say it before, the path, of, the path, to, become, <laughs> the path to becoming who you are requires discovering who you're not. And this is why I encourage kids to start and to quit as many things as possible. Just keep quitting shit. Step up to that buffet of life. When I was at the Air Force Academy, I was a fucking German major. My German professor had been a spy in East Germany. He fucking, every dialect, he was brilliant. I was a German major, then I was a math major. That's how I fucking left as a math major. I was a bio major. Then I went on, left there. I was a religious studies major and a math major. And, you know, I I worked a hundred different jobs, kept quitting, kept quitting, kept quitting until I ran out of things that, that I wanted to quit. And I found one or two or three things that I wanted to do next and stick with. You got to discover who you ain't and who you really are will begin to bubble up from inside. Just keep flushing that pain out. You'll have more spontaneous energy. Keep flushing out the fears and you'll begin to have peace inside. Keep flushing out the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself and you'll begin to have some clarity of who you really are. And I'm going to leave you with this Zen proverb and you've heard me say it before. And when I'm working with people who are trying to find their path in life, whether it's someone who's had a successful career and is considering a career change at 45 or somebody who's 20 and has no fucking clue what they want to do with their life. When I work with people and we move quickly and getting out all the crud that's sort of packed on top of their authentic self, one of the things that we discover about their path and what's ahead and their passion and so forth and what they really want to do with their life, what we discover is in the words of the Zen proverb, The truth is obvious. In other words, what they end up discovering is that it had been right in front of them the entire time and they couldn't see it because they had all that trauma, they had all the pain, the fears, and the bullshit beliefs they were taught about themselves. Get that shit out and I guarantee your authentic self will effortlessly bubble up from within. Well, fine humans, this has been delightful. This is absolutely delightful. I've so enjoyed this. Uh, So many great questions. Um, I connected with a person from my hometown, uh, Babs McGee in Lake Park, Minnesota, where I was born, actually with the hospitals in Fargo. And uh, so many great questions, so many great questions. What jumped out at you tonight, Rob? 
many things. That last one about I've only known trauma, and if that goes away, now who, who the heck am I? That's mm. fascinating to mm. me. Yeah, that's I've always liked that one. Uh, someone asks, someone asks if I'm wearing pants. Yes, I'm wearing pants. Um, don't know why, I, but yeah, uh, he is, and it's important to me. <laughs> Rob would not let me in the studio if I if I weren't. Uh, nor would KC. She would probably file some sort of OSHA complaint and be justified in doing so. Any final thoughts that any of us have? Casey, you have anything you want to say? No, no, no. Uh, Rob, any final thoughts? You complimented me on being a good father, so it's okay that you ran over. (laughs) (laughs) He has to do the editing, so he has every right to chew my ass on that. But sometimes we just got to go long. Today, I was just fucking around. The book is called There's a Hole in My Love Cup. You can get it at badasscounseling.com. The audiobook version is only available at badasscounseling.com, but you can also get the ebook and the paperback there. All right, have a great night, you guys. On behalf of the entire Badass Counseling Show team, have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Thank you.